Hello and welcome to another episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man in desperate need of remedial watercraft lessons. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and sometimes when you're on a boat and you've thrown the driver of that boat overboard, <laughs> you just forget how to drive a boat. Well, for a I mean, bit. I, I think the first lesson is probably don't throw the driver overboard. <laughs> In the first place. Listen, there are extenuating circumstances. And they gave him the 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 life raft thing. Sort the, of. The only the, the only donut. I'm I think it's really interesting to me that like weren't we last week talking about a movie that never racks oh yeah, we were talking about was it Kazam that literally never racks up? it has like eight million Chekhov's guns and they all are just, <laughs> never just used. Le- strewn about the floor. And then this yeah. movie even was like, Oh, we threw him off the we threw him that life or that life preserver. We're gonna see him again, and we did. Yeah, no, I was like, I was impressed. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wow, okay, yeah. conservation of characters, much. Speaking of Kazam, before we get into the movie this week, I want to talk about our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash lost in criterion. And why speaking of Kazam? Because over there, for a dollar a month. We watch Kazam you get, every week. <laughs> we don't watch Kazam every week. Thank don't God. promise things Thank we're not going God. to deliver on. Oh, boy, that would be rough. <laughs> we no. For a dollar a month, we do a bonus episode over there. And you get access to those bonus episodes, the entire past collection of bonus episodes, including two times that we've watched Kazam. Yeah. Uh, it gets better. And, uh, it does. Like 30, 38, 39 other movies over there. I think I think our second Kazam episode is number 41, uh, episode-wise. Um, but you get to vote on what we're going to watch, and Kazam is always a choice, uh, and it happens to be the choice that uh, I, that was picked it's for almost November always 2020. It's almost always the right choice. <laughs> it's not always the right <laughs> choice. I, put, I make good lists. I, I just... I, I really want... Like, I like the dichotomy we identified in the last Kazam episode where, like, yeah. on this podcast, I hype up Kazam hard, but don't actually <laughs> enjoy watching it. We all hate Kazam. We, yeah. For the last, like, six months, every episode of the main podcast, we have encouraged people to vote for Kazam, and, and then, then they, they voted it. for Kazam. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we're like, oh, boy, that was we were a very sad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Um like I said, patreon.com slash lost in criterion. A dollar gets you access to that. Uh if you're a supporter, also we'll take suggestions for this. because um, sometimes I just don't feel like thinking of one. Uh, and, and also some, a lot of times our, your eyes are better mostly, than we are, frankly. Well, yeah, like, mostly be because our here. supporters are really good at thinking of good ideas for lists. Um And our but, lists uh, are always like, How can we come up with another Val Kilmer list? Mm. <laughs> yes. How can I get you guys to let me watch any Val Kilmer movie or Hudson Hawk again? Uh, yeah, and, that's the that's the whole list scheme <laughs> that we came up with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, but it's fun. It's fun. We do a lot of interesting movies, and most of them actually don't involve Val Kilmer. We did watch Real Genius fairly recently uh, over there, but we've also watched things like Dog Day Afternoon, The Americanization of Emily, uh, Critters Two, just uh, a wide well, selection of film. 
Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that, like, on a repeat <sighs> scenario. Oh, wait, no. The Val- other Val Kilmer was a Christmas episode, wasn't it? A holiday yes, episode, yes, yes. I should we did. say. Yeah. We, yes. We, yeah, we I, did, I uh, got confused. Yeah, nope, you're right. Yeah. We've only seen Val Kilmer once over there. I was like, oh, right. we've seen Val Kilmer as many times as we've seen Shaq, but that's not that's true. true. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> In the grand scheme, it is true, but yes. Um, but that's a dollar a month. For a little extra $5 a month, we thank those people on air. And for a long time, we had a lot of $5 supporters, and we were very grateful for them. Uh, but everyone who was at $5 popped up within the last year. Uh, and we're very grateful for that as well. Uh, at $10 and above, our third tier, uh, we do something that is pretty dang special, I think. Yeah, it Pat is. makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we've watched recently. And I get that printed up on a postcard, write a little personalized note, and mail that off to you. It's, it's one of the favorite things I do. Like, yeah. in, in part in my mind, if I could somehow divorce it from even being a podcast and I could just mail people weird <laughs> drawings all the time, I kind of feel like if somebody would pay me to do that, I'd be fine. Um, Pat, there's, there's, I know that the qualification, if someone would pay you to do that, is very important. Uh, but beyond that, there's really nothing stopping you For, from just randomly well, addressing okay, let's be clear. images. Number one, the paying you is fairly important to this <laughs> because I do yeah. need to feed my family. Uh, number two, I feel like that's how you end up on terrorist watch lists. List, frankly, I feel like that's you how you become one, a famous artist. One person, a weird, like a weird, like rendition of Godzilla as a woman watching Godzilla, <laughs> and suddenly you're on a terrorist watch list. That's all I'm saying. Okay, the the Godzilla postcard would have gotten you on a watch list, and probably did. Also, there's um, been sacrilege a couple times. It's probably also get you on a watch list, <laughs> even though it shouldn't. There's a yeah, in a few countries, the Vatican's watching you, and the U.S. government. God, those are your two. I would love it. Okay, I'm sure it exists. Actually, it is just Hudson Hawk, but let's not talk about that. Is a um a a a like some sort of like born identity thing, but like it's the U.S. government. And the Vatican seeing who can capture this wanted criminal first. <laughs> yeah, that is Hudson. I Hawk. realized it's Hudson Hawk, and I was like, oh, I should just stop, but I kind of want to just get it out there. <laughs> uh, I accidentally wrote it, Hudson Hawk. Is... It's like it's that evolution meme where it's like, it Did you, I made a new animal. Is it a crab again? <laughs> yeah, it's a crab again. <laughs> Everything eventually becomes Hudson Hawk if you try hard enough. It's true. It's true. Ah. <laughs> uh, as I said, that is $10 and above. We also like to thank those people on air. Uh, so thank you too much. Thank you too much. Um, <laughs> We're having a hard, hard week, guys. Yeah. Thank you so much to our $10 and above supporters. Uh, Adam Speakerman, Jonathan Hape, Patrick Yako, Michael McGrath, Jason Westhaver, Christopher Otto, and Charlie Mueller, all at that level or above, and we are so grateful yeah. for you. Yes, thank you very much. I like to think of this podcast as like whatever a slow motion emotional breakdown looks like. <laughs> it's been happening for like seven to eight years now. Yeah, and we're finally hitting some some critical inflection point on it. Uh, just over eight. Just over. God, eight. that's a long time. It is. It is. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion if you want that long time to keep going even longer. Yeah, please. Please, we're not ready to stop. Greatly appreciate my Consider yeah. my exhaustion. I'm trying to go for a Harrison Ford kind of thing where, like, my exhaustion yeah. is my charm. There you go. <laughs> uh, just 
shoot the sword guy. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're exactly. It's it's he's he does it so so well. We're like, yeah, yeah, this guy seems tired all the time. I really like him for that. <laughs> yes. Uh, speaking of being tired, this week's movie is about a man who's tired too. I think. Oh no, this end, is definitely about a man who's tired of running. I yeah. it is yeah. it is. Wait, okay, isn't there was it, okay? I know this is probably true of many movies, but there was definitely a movie of like where the tagline was like he's tired of running, blah 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 blah. Right? That's a thing, right? I, I, yeah, probably, but I can't think yeah. of one uh, offhand. Uh, this week, though, we're talking about Classe Tu Risque, Consider All Risks. It's a 1960 French-Italian joint production gangster film. It's directed by Claude Sauté. Um, stars Lino Ventura and is based on a novel by Jose Giovanni. A, uh, a, a, which, si- a, a semi-fictional novel written by Jose yes. Giovanni, which is really fascinating to me. Yes. If, well, Giovanni we've dealt with before. Uh, oh, Jose Giovanni we? is the the pen name, the pseudonym, actually. Calling it a pen name is not really accurate either because it is the name he lived under for the latter part of his life of a uh, man na- born Joseph Dam- <laughs> Joseph Damiani. Uh, and he also wrote Le Trow. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and when... When we talked about Latrell, we got into this a little bit. Uh, no one at the time that Latrell and Classe Tourisque came out, uh, which was both 1960, actually. They both He got out of prison in uh, 1956, and he uh, wrote both. He wrote Latrell almost immediately because his lawyer was all like, hey, instead of going back to a life of crime, uh, right. why don't you uh, why don't you write a book? And he said, oh, yeah, I'll write a book about the time I tried to escape from prison. And he did, and it caught on, and then they made a movie. Right, yeah. I mean, it was Jacques a, Becker, and it's a pretty good movie. Yeah, it's a pretty good movie. Um, I liked it. I was yeah. going to mention it when I was talking about this movie, which is fascinating because I did <laughs> yeah. not realize it was written by the same person. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and he was heavily involved in the screenplays for The Trow and for, for this one as well. Uh, and he also um, he wrote another book that would eventually be turned into uh, into a film called Le Doucement Soufflé. Uh, the second the second breath is uh, is what that translates to. Um, and he wrote a bunch of other books, but uh, uh, but that other one is also sort of uh, sort of one of the big uh, big three. It's a Melville Melville adapted it and. Uh, Lino Ventura also stars in that one. Okay. And while while he had less direct involvement with that, they used, according to him, ninety five percent of his dialogue, and uh, a lot of the book ends up in the film. It's a pretty mm-hmm. faithful adaptation. Uh, but yeah, he wrote a very particular kind of uh, very particular kind of uh, novel. Yeah. Um, well, and, mostly and, drawn on his own life, right? Okay, yeah. And when we when we talked about him last time, no one from the time he was released from prison until the mid nineties knew the full extent of why he was in prison. Uh, and he was he was on death row for a little bit. He had his death sentence uh, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, shortened. Um, uh, I can't. Starts with a C. Commuted. Commuted. Yeah, he had his death sentence commuted to uh, 11 years in prison, and then actually even that was shortened to eight years in prison. I think because he kept trying to escape, they decided to just let him out. <laughs> seems to be, seems I, to be yes. what happened. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but it didn't come out until 93 that he had been in prison for collaboration. Oh, interesting. Uh, now, where this gets interesting to me is that I was trying to get more details on that. Now, the Wikipedia biography section is pretty detailed uh, and describes him as uh, basically involved with Vicky government or outright German-supporting uh, organizations from 43 onward, uh, which would have been when he was 20 years old. Like, he was a young man. Um, and as... Uh, as we didn't necessarily learn with, but as we saw in Le Cam Lucien, uh, young people, as can be expected, young men, disaffected young men, had a tendency to fall in with the authoritarians at the time, um, as they still do. Yes, yeah. A relatively <coughs> unsho- unshocking uh, phenomenon. Yeah. yeah. So um, the weird where that gets weird is sort of trying to confirm some details on his war life. I ran across his obituary in the independent uh, from 2004 when he died. And they describe him in the independent as having been involved with the resistance at the beginning of the war and say that his collaboration came after the war when he became friends with a known collaborator and was working with him, and that known collaborator uh, had had a history of assassinating resistance members. Uh, and that he was, he was condemned for collaboration uh, because of, or not, he wasn't actually condemned for collaboration. He was condemned for a murder that his brother-in-law uh, maybe actually committed. Um, where they were uh, they were robbing some people, uh, and it went south. Um, but in any case, he went to prison, um, and they described him in the Independent as uh, as a member of the resistance who had that issue with the collaboration. They really gloss over his his crimes in the Independent. But where the, on the flip side where that becomes interesting is that in his Wikipedia biography is much more explicit about him being complacent, if not collaborative, with the German occupation of France. Never mentions his involvement with the resistance at all. Huh. But is also completely unsighted. The whole Wikipedia? The whole Wikipedia article. There is... There is Oh well, that no I citation mean, that, in the entire I mean, Wikipedia article, and then there is a further reading that is a reference to a uh, what appears to be some sort of encyclopedia of people involved with film. Well, then <laughs> I I would I mean like not to be overly judgmental, but a Wikipedia page without any citations is essentially just a weird fanfic, right? Right. So as we talked about, so I don't. Know. As we talked about yeah. last a couple weeks ago, 
having citations does not make you a good Wikipedia page. Right, 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 right. But it right. does increase the likelihood that you're not complete garbage. Right, right. Um, I'm actually wrong. I mis I misremembered. The further reading is a book about him. Okay. Um, so not, that's not, cool. I mean, I feel like somebody could have pulled a citation or from a, that. Or an article about him, at least. Uh, but uh, but it's not uh, it's not cited at all. It's just it's in the <sighs> further reading section, right? Yeah. So there there are literally no citations in the entire article. Now, when we talked about Latrow and we talked about him in uh, during the Latrow episode shortly, uh, I think we uncritically talked about w- his history on Wikipedia. Um, in any case, um. His position, uh, obviously, he he has some amount of shame of what he did. He worked right. under a different name, right? He wasn't proud of his past, uh, and he has said, essentially, "I did my time, right? Right. <laughs> I, I paid my debt. Uh, I have the right to be pardoned and to have the affair forgotten." I think is his exact words. Um. And there's that. But on the other hand, uh-huh. all of his crime stories are about him, his his time in prison, his time as a collaborator, or stories told by a collaborator he met. Right. Such as this movie, where our main character, and again, no one else making the movie knew at the time, but our main character is based on another guy who was in prison for collaboration. Uh, right and sentenced to death for collaboration, and that I don't know. I don't know how to feel about. Yeah, that. I I know, and it and I don't know either. And and I think our best bet, like I mean, this is a while, like kind of a departure because, like, literally, only a few weeks ago we went the opposite <laughs> direction. But like with something this sort of entangled in the. Like, I don't know how to explain this. Like, listen, a few weeks ago, we were dealing with someone who was unapologetic. Yeah, no, I know, I know, I know. I meant I, it just in general, like, and went went to his death. Right, absolutely. And trying I, to ensure a fascist future. Absolutely. And that's why <laughs> I'm fine with what we this did. Is, this is a guy who I think very clearly made mistakes when he was 20 years old that he recognized as mistakes. Right. And, now, the and, Guardian tries to remove him from those mistakes more than the Wikipedia article does. Right. But at the same time, he's right to say, I went to prison. Right. I and, did my and, time. And, and exactly. The state has forgiven me, and I've moved on. Right. And, and of course, you know, we get into a question of, like, well, if you're writing stories about it, are you apologetic or something? But, like, yeah, at this point, like, we're so deeply removed from the effects and sort of I like yeah. concepts involved in collaboration during that war that it's kind of like right it's right. almost too exhausting to try to unpack that in this podcast in any meaningful way it's like we are we are generally uh unsympathetic to collaborators right. when they come up and they come and, up a lot yeah it has happened a lot film. yeah uh but we are also generally unsympathetic to collaborators who died in hiding or died running. Right. And, and who uh, did like, and very specifically, a lot of times it is, there are movies about collaborators who are at least 
generally speaking, unremorseful about their collaboration, right, right. which is important. Yeah. And I guess we can't tell necessarily if Giovanni no. was unremorseful, so to speak. But at the same time, he he tried to make a better life for himself, and I am sympathetic to the uh, to the path he chose. Right. right. He 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 wrote what he knew, and he wrote it well. Right. right? And it's also uh, worth noting, I think that like. I the trial was a long time ago, so I do yeah. I do struggle to remember exactly how it unfolded. But keep in mind, our main character here is a main character. He's yeah. not a good guy. Right, He's right. he is at best an antihero. We can sympathize yeah. with him as a person in some regards. Like as a father, I can simplify. I can right. Right. sympathize with him, but like. I can't sympathize with the choices he makes throughout the film. <laughs> right. And I don't think we're expected the, to. We're not being asked right. to. No one is right. asking us in this movie, hey, can't we see things from the side of the guy who repeatedly chooses to murder? Now, the emotional heart of this movie is a guy who wants wants his kids to be out of the life he's in. Absolutely, right? which is a thing we can sympathize with yeah. 100%. And who, who, because of choices made in the past, his life is inescapable and was for him, right? Yeah. Inescapable for him. And, you know, there's an ethical and moral argument as to, you know, his relationship with these his wife and these, and these ch- children's mothers, um, you know, where, uh, you know, he didn't, he didn't tell her who he was, right, before right. they had a kid. You know, but but at the same time, he is he is a father who who wants a better world for his children, and where that where that repeatedly comes up explicitly is he wants them to end up somewhere where they can go to school, right? right? Literally, <laughs> you know, absolutely, yeah, verbatim. Um, uh, and obviously, you know, he was he was condemned to death in absentia in France prior to the narrative. And the narrative never explicitly says why that happened. Now, the real guy who it's based off of, it happened because he was a collaborator during the war. Well, I mean, the um, the, the movie hints at him having committed a murder. Right, right. Uh, it doesn't mention yeah. that being as a part of collaboration. But, yeah. I mean, we... It, but the he movie also commits gives, murder in Italy. Right, the, <laughs> the thing about it is the movie too, gives right. us enough information, though... That we know that he did do the thing that that, that he's not right. being hunted right. unjustly. Right, 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 right. And that's important because the movie is making it very clear right from the beginning that like we're not watching the fugitive. Right. You know what I mean? We're not watching a movie about a man he's on the yeah. run unjustly. We're watching a man about a movie about a man who has not sort of made his peace with what is going to happen to him almost inevitably. Right. Um, yeah. And, and some, a lot of that has to do with make his, that yeah, piece, and it. Yeah. But... And it has a lot to do with his children. Um, yeah. I, and, and then you get into a thing I thought about because this is where my brain always goes in these movies now, because life is terrible is if we start to consider what, what his motivations are, because throughout the movie, 
it does appear that his family is his motivation primarily. I disagree with the mm-hmm. notion of getting into a shootout with the with the cops with your family present, but yeah, I, I I'm not implying he's a good decision maker. Um, certainly not. But um, if his motivation primarily is something like getting his children into a secure position where they can go to school and not end up in the system. Right. He even makes direct reference. It's either this or child. It's either me or child services. And like that one is impossible, basically. Right. Like that's just a no go. Right. right? Brings in to to mind a thing that where where we're bound to go with this podcast, which is. Imagine a world where the where the system is not so bad that a man will commit a a cross a multinational murder spree to try to <laughs> yes. avoid to put putting his children into it. Right, right. Like right. Th- th- that is a we. It, it it gives this movie this extra sort of moral indictment of a world where you can't where where this is better than the state's care. Right. Which is a now. Mind you, other other movies, other cr- movies about cr- escape, you know, about criminals are similar, but they tend to revolve around the father's unwillingness to give up his children. Whereas yeah. this movie doesn't really, especially at certain times, doesn't imply that it's he's not willing to give them up as much as it is. He fears for what will happen to them when they are, when they yes. are given up, which is because he gives them up freely to people he trusts. Not freely, right. but he does give them up when he gets to a position where there's somebody he can trust yeah. with them. Right. Right. But he, he very much does not trust whatever state agencies exist in this world. Right. And, and and if you start to think about it and you extrapolate that out to like the modern, you know, our current modern world, yeah. that's still true for a lot of people right a lot of right. people make a lot of really desperate decisions based on th- any desperate decision i make is better than putting my children in care of the state right because th- right. it is it is so utterly incapable of, of caring for children in a positive way that will and in treat them correctly in, yeah yeah in most countries that is a well-earned yeah distrust yeah, yeah. uh and it's not now, the other half of that, and, and what you're really getting at, is that that well-earned dis- distrust isn't something that needs to exist, but an aspect of a system that has been had conscious, been consciously created. Absolutely, right? and and it, and is a is is all part of a a fundamental structure of dehumanization at, right. at its core, and and it's just it's fascinating to think about because. Then you start to think about, and this is this is how we avoid talking about the movie at all, apparently. But not that I <laughs> want to do that. The movie's worth talking about, but um, it, it is that like when you start to sort of continue thinking about that, like how much of what is called crime is a functional result of a system that purposely, per- very purposely, fails to provide forcing people like i mean like he makes his decisions based on that knowledge of the system right right and 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 so like there are 
un some some number I've lost track of people in this fictional story who are dead because the system was manipulated in such a way to produce that result. Right. He commits crimes because he can't bear the idea of his children being put into this yeah. system. And and then and like and then you think about that in the modern world again where you start thinking okay, well how many what percentage of crimes are committed because some parent knows that like it's it's this or much much worse i will do this thing that will at least you know you know what i mean like it it's how you know because like you know i i don't know watch it's just it's a thing that this movie because no, you're right i start thinking about this it's kind of unrelated to the movie but it's still what i think about right it's like because you know i simply i empathize with the father character in here because that's you know that's what i do now right. and uh and it, you start processing, like, okay, well, what would I do in this situation? And then you start having trouble finding direct, like, I, I wouldn't want to commit murder. But, like, you know, apparently this system is that bad, right? Like, it's just interesting to think about. Um, Dorothy Roberts is a social justice activist and researcher uh, author, she's, uh, I can't remember. She's a professor somewhere, but I can't remember what, what college she's with. Uh, but she's written books called, uh, Killing Black Body, uh, Shattered, Shattered Bands, Fatal Invention. Um, but in her talking about the carceral state, she pulls in child and family services. Absolutely. Um, and I think... One, she's she's right to do that, um, because it is an aspect of the punishment. And and one one point that that Roberts makes repeatedly in in my experience with her work is the idea that children are taken away by child and family services because their parents do not have the resources to take care of them well. So we remove the children instead of just providing the resources. Right. Right. Yeah. And that gets back to even Giovanni and, and his prison. You know, he was a, honestly, he was a kid. Yeah, he was 20. He was a kid when he did what he did. Right. right. Uh, by the end of the war, by the time he went to prison, he was 22 years old, I think. And he spent a decade in prison with much of it facing a death sentence. Right. Right. And yeah, Post-prison, he becomes a famous writer by writing about the things he experienced crime-wise and prison-wise. But he has a natural talent for writing, obviously. Right. Yeah, I well. mean, this, 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 there's a world where so, the state acknowledges and right. identifies a way to take a probably right. fairly troubled young man and yeah. make him, like, help him. And like instead of locking him anymore. away, yeah, like right, <laughs> encouraging his abilities, right, uh, and you know it's because of the way the state functions um, in America today and in France at the time, certainly uh, the providing of those resources to the parents in Dorothy's view 
uh, or to the person directly is is the better response, and that's that's restorative, right? Now, another function of of where this justice system could be, instead of just putting Giovanni in prison for a decade, uh, is to you know create a system where he can functionally uh, provide uh, restitution to the people he has victimized. Right. Well, right. That, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, and that's a really interesting thing to think about with regards to something like collaboration, right? Because right. his debt is essentially to is really very fundamentally to society itself, right? Yeah. So the best use of like the best case scenario, right, is that he's put into a position where in some way he has the ability to be a a useful active participant in society, right? Right, right. Which is not what a person in prison is in any capacity. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah. Even when they're being forced to make toilet Well, but, but that's, that, that is, that is not a thing, though, right? Like, that's, I mean, that's right? not yeah. restorative because you right. are, now the state is committing crimes against <laughs> you by right. making you a slave right. laborer, quote-unquote, for restitution, but like you're also being used for profit, right? Like, right. There's plenty of ways that that doesn't have to work that way, but it, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And, anyway. and well, and if we look at this, the character in this movie, right? Like, he is probably motivated. He's most certainly motivated by his kids and his wife, right? And right. and she, you know, like if he were to just accept going to prison, right? They probably wouldn't go into the child services system necessarily, but one is forced to assume based on sort of the context of the movie that they would still be essentially destitute. Right. Uh, right. Which is not and, a better result, right? It's just not not really a better result. And his wife is, in theory, an accomplice. So who knows right. how the system would react to that. Um, but... But as the opening narration of this film says, uh, they need money, and these guys only know of one way to get right. money, right? And they only know of that way to get money because of past mistakes that keep them right. from they making have gained money no others. Yeah, right? they've gained no other skills of use for, for yeah. making money, right? Yeah. Well, totally, yeah. Right. I mean, the movie... Well, keep them from, from being able to openly hold employment, even, True, right? true, yeah. I mean, there's that, so, that part, too, right? Like... I mean, it's. I mean, it it is. It's interesting because when we launched into this, we we talked about like I mean, he is not. He, we can sympathize, but he is also not somebody we are meant to. See as a positive role model or anything like that. Well, certainly not. Yes. Uh, but you, you, it is interesting because you start to break down his existence. And and we are meant to sympathize with the fact that he is a person without without essentially without recourse, right? Like with right. with no good options because society has decided that he's not worthy of having options. And that's and that's a real aspect of you know, the main character in the Kamlushin and so many uh people like uh Giovanni during the war of what else can I do? Right. I mean, right. especially during I I I I find myself 
Okay, so Listen. people make people make explicitly bad decisions when they think, "What else can I do?" Yes, right. yeah. and Giovanni did, and the character, the Camusian, certainly certainly did. does. Yeah, and that's yeah. part of the point of that. But part of the point of that movie, and and maybe I've just got Malé on my mind because we did watch those other two Malé films yeah. fairly recently that were were very good on this end too. I think. Um. But one thing Malé wanted to say with the Camusian was, "This is a thing that happened." Right. And we need to deal with the fact that it happened, not just ignore it and hope yeah, that totally. it goes away. Well, right. Because the only way we're going to move past it, the only way we're going to restore anything is to accept that it happened and acknowledge right. that it happened and do the work. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I, well, and that's the, I, 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 I've had an interesting, this is, this is going to be really sad. Okay. But. <laughs> Been watching a lot of Star Trek re- recently, and yeah. and a place where I find it, I find it lacking in a lot of ways. I love Star Trek, okay, but like as I get older and more radical, I find Star Trek to be more difficult to deal with in the sense that like they have in many ways a world I would like to live in, but also was in many ways feels at times like it was written by the same people who wrote West Wing. Um, <laughs> Which produces some interesting problems where it's like, how do you get there? Ah, compromise with fascists. That's the answer. Um, but um, one of the things that I, I've been watching is is every so often the idea and the discussion of collaborators comes up. And and it's, it, it's a, always an interesting thing to think about because the show talks about them and, and because it's – it is an issue in certain series and the problem I always have is this sort of like, it, it, it seems to be painted as a, as a, as a, an alleyway, right? Like mm-hmm. it's even, even in Star Trek, a, a, a world that is meant to be without that kind of dead end streets, right? Yeah. It is painted as a dead end street. Which is troubling to me, right? Because, like, if I'm going to make a world where there are no dead-end streets, I can't have dead-end streets. Like, I can't <laughs> I can't then simultaneously also have some. Like, I either don't have any or I I do. And, and if you're going to idea, design an ideal world, you don't have any, period. You're just not allowed, right? Yeah. So, and, and it's bothered me sort of endlessly – that like, it's like well, like they won't go as far as like oh these people are condemned to death or something like that, but like oh, you're you're to be punished forever for this thing, and it's like, and I understand that impulse, but at the same time I'm baffled by the idea of like you would say there is no point at which one has atoned for that sin is a kind of wild idea to me that just seems incomprehensible, right? And and after after World War II, I feel like that was a sort of position that was taken quite now, a bit. There are there are plenty of things that happened in World War II that resulted in uh deaths, I mean, period. But but resulted in ends where restitution 
is completely off the table. Impossible. Absolutely. Because, Absolutely. because not only not only has a person died, but their entire family has died. There is no one to, to re- <laughs> restore, right? There's n- <laughs> or no manner to restore it. Um, so that is an aspect of this, and I don't want to get too far away from that. But, but to say that no one is redeemable, even the worst of the worst in these cases, is wrong. Right, and that and that's where I run into trouble, right? Because like yeah. in our world that we live in, that you and I walk around in, I am forced to accept that society does determine that there are certain certain things you can do which makes you irreparable you are you are beyond fundamental hope now certain societies make more or fewer or more of those right um america has decided that like fully 50 percent of the things you do are make you irredeemable including having very minor amounts of drugs at the same time as being black right like that's a america's system is just right wowzers but like being like even even if you start looking at like i just i've reached a point in my life where like i almost can't accept any any crime puts you beyond societal forgiveness and that's like it's a weird statement to make because i people can name crimes that will certainly put me to the test but like that's not the same as forgiveness from the people you committed the crime against is a position where society works to rehabilitate you in some way and eventually declares you rehabilitated, right? That doesn't absolve you of your sins, but it does say you are now a functional member of society again because if we're not going to put you to death, which is its own thing that you shouldn't, we shouldn't be doing, then just locking, like just storing you in a box forever is also shouldn't be an option. Not really. There should always be some attempt to fix you, for lack of a better word. Um, I don't. I don't know. It's just a. It, it's a thing that comes up a lot in my head right now. And and like yeah. Now now that's different from saying, for example, the sort of like weird societal rehabilitation we do, where we're like, ah, yes, that war criminal president. Well, he's not as bad as this war criminal president, so. He's okay in my book. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about legitimate right. efforts by a society to make a person into somebody who can be a part of society again. Right. Right. With or without the forgiveness not, of their victims. Because that again, may be unattainable. Back, back to Le Comme Luchen in that regard. It isn't about ignoring what they did. Right. You know, it's about it's about coming to terms with what they did in order to move past what they did, not just block it out. Right. And and with Giovanni, a lot of people just ignored what he did, right? And he changed his name so that he could try to ignore what he did. But at the same time, he is... I mean, he certainly does around. become essentially a functional member of society, which is at least right. 50% right. of what I'm talking about. My problem is, right, is that right. sus- it's dubious whether or not society did that for him or he essentially, right, right. for lack of a better word, bootstrapped his own way into that. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, that, that that shouldn't be the answer, right? Ah, 
and that is usually the answer, but it shouldn't be the answer. It's like, yeah. well, a few of a few lucky ones managed to escape from this nightmare f- right, right. successfully. The rest of them are so, fucked forever. So we, I think another thing we talked about with Latrell, uh, because it came out the same year as this, um, this movie in particular uh, basically didn't make a splash when it came out, despite the fact that, you know, it's it is very much a genre movie, but mm-hmm. it is so much beyond the genre it's in. Like any other, you know, boilerplate gangster movie that we, even other ones we watched for the collection aren't this, right? This is no, no, this event. It, it, well, it's the way it's shot, the way it's paced, I, the way it's, it's written, topic. Like it's, it's not acted. about right. the commission of a crime. Right. Really? Right. Right. Um, but this movie was completely overshadowed because it came out in 1960. Right. And it came out it came out right on the cusp of the new wave and which drowned in all things. Wave. Yes, yeah. Right. right. Now of course uh, eventually Melville would start making sort of new wave gangster movies. Um, which loop yeah. back like and which we, I was thinking about while I was watching this because the uh, the, yeah. the extent to which they loop back into essentially this movie in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. Is yeah. like woof. Okay. Yeah. Somebody got screwed um, on this one. One of the one of the interesting aspects uh, from a new wave perspective of this movie is that that opening sequence of them robbing the the uh, the bank guard or whatever, mm-hmm. a guy in a uniform who has money for some reason yeah. with no real explanation. Yeah, um, uh, it's a payroll something. Yeah, payroll something. That guy, uh, that whole sequence was filmed guerrilla style, uh, oh, without God. permission oh, on wow. actual streets. So, uh, according to the French Wikipedia, uh, pedestrians joined in the chase, just rando- randos who were there. Oh, wow. Um, heard, awesome, though. Heard someone shouting, saw them pointing, so started chasing the guys who were running. Uh, and uh, the French translation is a little hard, and I don't speak French well enough in this, in this regard to, uh, to translate it on my own. So, I, I've got a sort of fall back to Google's translation. Someone in the crowd had heart issues uh, during during the filming of that sequence. Oh, my God. Um, so apparently the excitement gave somebody palpitations at best. Um, right. And, uh, and maybe something worse. I, uh, what, what, this year, yeah. this came out in 1960? Yes. Okay. But then it, re- and from, it re-aired again in 1962... They mentioned in the thing. Sorry, I just realized. Something. Go ahead. I, I was. I'm working through something in my head. Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, well, it. Uh, it is. Uh, I don't know where, where I was going then. Uh, it came out in 1960. Yeah. Um. In March. Um. I don't know what you're seeing referencing. No. 62. No. No. In the in the documentary, the portion where they interviewed the um the film critic. In the mm-hmm. extra features, he mentioned that they re-released it in 1962 and it made bank. That they released it in 1960 and it was a flop, and then yeah. the, and then the producers re-released it in 1962, I guess, to a better climate, and it did. Then that doesn't surprise me. Well, that, I was just trying to first... work through when when new wave gangster movies became sort of hit their yeah. pinnacle, uh, just because like that would make sense, right? Like if you if you timed it right. Yeah. It would just get picked up because, like, on a fundamental le- level, 
it is pretty hard to distinguish like one of those Melville gangster films from this. Yeah. But even like Shoot the Piano Player came out the same year as this. Right. So Well, and I was looking at it uh, and and like Melville gangster movies start really pretty early, like in the ni- like mid to late nineteen in the mid nineteen fifties, right? Like they're like right, Bob Lefumbeur right. is like nineteen fifty six or whatever, right? So Yeah, I mean that's more more of a straightforward Right, and so that's what I'm trying to figure out is like a that's a straightforward thing, gangster right. movie. So then when do we hit when do we hit New wave gangster. I I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out why it would re- do well yeah. in 1962 and not well in 1960. I don't know. I think I think an aspect of that is people like uh, Bresson saw those first ten minutes and thought this is one of the greatest things I've ever <laughs> right. seen. Right. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, it, and it is like I yeah. mean that beginning that. The action in this is done extremely well, and like they, right. again, they mentioned it in one of those uh, those a- extras is like the the ability the Sate demonstrates to have to go from zero to somebody being chucked off a boat <laughs> in right. like right. two right. seconds is astonishing. The, yeah. the sudden yeah. the and it's not like it's a jump cut; it's just having your actors go from nothing to like intense action yeah. in a matter of a breath is is breathtaking right. in a film. Right. It is like there right. that robbery is breathtaking. Yeah. And it's it's one of the reasons that, you know, the bulk time wise of our bonus features focus on Lino Ventura, the actor right, more right. than on anything else, right? Um but one has but to yeah. imagine that is a collaborative effort, right? Like, oh, right. Lino Absolutely. doesn't get there and Sate doesn't get there without each other, right? Like, right. because, right. like, there's no way an actor is just going to, off the cuff, just decide to do their action right. scenes like that. And there's right. no way right. that a director can get that to happen with every actor. Right. Right. Um, we've always, we've seen him a lot, Lino, right. by the way. Um, he was in... Uh, Touchpaw Grisby, um, which uh, we watched, you know, <laughs> years ago. Um, but he's uh, what else has he been? He was he was the inspector in Elevator to the Gallows. Forgot about that. Um, the cop in that Malay film, uh, which was two years before this, and. Yeah, I'm sure we've seen him more. But yeah, I, can't, I mean, I can't think of anything he, it's he's just. Yeah, he's a very good actor. Yeah, he's good um, at it. But and this like, is also yeah. a, a a a sort of a different role than what we've seen him in, right? Because it's not even, it's not even a. In action oriented gangster role either, right? Most of, most of the time, he is quiet and pensive, and thinking about what this means not for his own life but for his children right right uh well and, and the, the distrust yeah, of yeah everyone he's <laughs> encounters <laughs> right and and yeah but, and like some really good pensive scene. like that yeah. scene where he is telling his children to walk 10 yards behind him or whatever is yeah. fucking a heartbreaking <laughs> right like it is right. a deeply saddening scene it is like yeah. 
we don't even really see it come to fruition that much in the film, but just it's it's very well acted and he just does a. It is really astonishing to see that sort of range of act, of acting ability, right? Because he he's doing these very somber, pensive scenes, and then also some really intense action work. It's it's really yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Right. Um. Yeah, and Stark's character, um, Eric Stark, the right. played by uh, Belmondo. Do we see him again somewhere else? Because his face is crazy familiar. Oh, Belmondo, you do. You'd yeah. I don't remember. Uh, that. Obviously, very different roles too. But he was in Breathless. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I, at this point, like they, everybody's, it's like I remember that face. Where beats right. the shit out of me. I have no they're, idea anymore. <laughs> they're everywhere. He's in a woman as a woman. Uh, uh, okay, so we've like we've encountered yeah. him a lot. That's I was like, this face is. Right. I know this person from where I don't know because I don't open the Wikipedia page unless I absolutely have to. <laughs> As a general rule, certainly not um, while I'm watching. Oh yeah, <laughs> our most recent interaction with him, he is uh, uh, Piero in Pierre Lofau, the Godard oh, okay. film that we we watched fairly recently. Um, yeah. Um. I think that's probably the last time we saw him. Right, but yeah, right, right. You you have reason to recognize him. I, well, that's good. To, it's good to know that like my I'm not my brain isn't playing tricks on me. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, but he's a. I mean, he's his interaction when they first meet. Um, not this, not necessarily the scene in the post office or whatever is is it's fine. fine and, yeah, but it's not really much does. of a thing, right? But now. when they go down to the beach and are calling to the kids, and the the, the oldest one, obviously a mistake, <laughs> falls out of the boat when on onto the sand. But he falls out of the boat while climbing out, right. and they just like stand there thinking, uh, "We do we? <laughs> what do we do?" <laughs> right. <laughs> And then go over to him. I laughed through that yeah, entire no, scene yeah. from the time the kid fell, and maybe I shouldn't have. But, but it was funny. It, it, but it's, it's obviously like, yeah. it is obviously an unscripted moment that they left in, right? Uh, right. And like the way they react to it too, right? Um, well, and that's what, and that's an interesting <laughs> thing, right? Is that like we talk about like new wave or not new wave, but like yeah, that sense of leaving some some things like that in there like that and like the chase scene the the gorilla chase scene at the beginning like that's right, like right. that's like hedging on new wave stuff right like that sort of like yeah that like um cinema verite Absolutely. sort of thing it was like oh yeah i mean the kid fell out of the boat that's what kids do like they fall out of boats right. with that opening scene even though you know we open at the at the uh, uh, Milan train station, right? Really, and with with Raymond talking to the kids, mm-hmm. right, about how they're going to go on the train, and he's going to go with their dad in a car. Mm-hmm. Um, all of all of that aside, I still wasn't expecting this to be a story about the kids, really. Right? No, no, me neither. Well, I asked because we. I can't name one specifically, but I swear we've definitely had this kind of film where there were, if nothing else, I've seen them outside of this podcast. Yeah. Where there's like, a, there are kids involved, but the kids are always sort of accessories to the adults in the sense right, that like. Right. And background, like, and maybe even the character's motivation is about taking care of the kids, right. but we never really, we'll see the kids again 
in the last five minutes when our hero has overcome whatever obstacles and is reunited with his kids. Here, the kids are there the whole time. Right. right? And and it's the emotional heart of the movie, absolutely. Right, yeah. Without but, them, this movie is just isn't even... But, I, I don't know what it is. It's just not a movie, really. It's just yeah. like a, a on-the-run-from-the-cops movie at that point. It's like, well, yeah. okay. But... But Stark Stark brings that back around to just how much of this movie was completely unexpected as it played out to me. Right. Like, oh, yeah. the friends hire some rando who becomes a main character, even though she, he's introduced <laughs> uh, halfway through the second right. act, basically. Uh, and uh, it happens that he you know, has a connection in his background that he's kept secret, and that connection makes him more likely, you know, it makes him want to help Abel. Because he was friends with Raymond too, and then, and then he, you, you talked about the Chekhov's guns in this. While he's driving down to pick up Abel and the kids, uh, he looks up at the window from the gas station and sees a woman. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then on the way back, that woman comes back into play, and then she becomes a fairly major player. Well, that's in the thing. Like, when he looked forward. up at that, looked up at her, I was like, "Well, she's important." But I have <laughs> yeah. no fucking clue why. Right, and then we don't right. see her again for what, like fucking 15, 20? I don't remember how long that is. <laughs> yeah. it's, at least, yeah. it's at least 15 minutes, probably more. Yeah. Like, And like not in the same context that we saw her the first time. So so you'd be you'd be perfectly in right, your well, right no, yeah. to not and, recognize and you that it was even the same person, yeah. right? <laughs> so, so Well, yeah. and she doesn't even look the same because like even in addition to context, like – her makeup's done differently and everything is different right. about her in when they we encounter her again. Right, right. But so. because the cast list only has like 12 people on it, not even. <laughs> like, well, that's definitely right. the same person. Uh, you know, actually it's nine people. My bad. <laughs> there's there's probably a few more. Well, there's people who are left off the, the Wikipedia one, including but not limited to the children. Uh, yes. Are not on the list. Although they are uh, we on have the cast seen... list in the in the credits where they say the kids, yes, which I thought was yes. really funny. We have seen her before too, actually, at least once. She's uh, she's the mistress to the main character in Eight and a Half. So oh, okay, yeah, um, which came out what three years after this, so not looking a lot different. Um, and she's in Julieta of the Spirits, though I forget what she plays in that offhand. Um, but one of the main characters, I believe. So, so yeah, she she works with Fellini quite a bit moving forward, uh, but but yeah, she's Italian, which is why she's working with Fellini right. <laughs> more than the rest of the French New Wave. But uh, but yeah, um, that's you know, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure everyone in this movie, except for maybe the kids, we've seen before. Well, and who knows <laughs> about the kids, right? Like they don't have a Wikipedia like, page, or they're not their Wikipedia yeah. page isn't linked. They could be. Um, you know, yeah, but I mean, but the... that's the thing, right? Like, that's the weird, that's always been what's, like, so this is, like, it's still so, it, it's, like, so still in a, in, I, I just keep coming back to that, like, oh, it's not, it wasn't of the new wave, so it wasn't, it didn't catch on. Yeah. But, like, it's ignored, but, like, it's so adjacent to the new wave, right? Like, I mean, it's, like, a bunch of actors and actresses who appear in a shit ton of French new wave and Italian new wave cinema. Yeah are in it like it's like it's just like kind of feels like bad luck more than anything yeah right 
Right. Like it's because it's also like so well done. Anybody who watched it would have been like, "This is amazing." So yeah. like it's not. It's like I I okay. Boy, we're gonna go down conspiracy in the conspiracy theory land. <laughs> when we like, boy, this is not gonna be pretty. We've talked about this before, and how sort of intensely I I'm gonna say like, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, sort of incestuous that French New Wave yeah. domain was. Like they're yeah. all kind of eat, they're all kind of like washing each other's laundry and stuff. Basically, you know what I mean? Like. They're all like they you all think Sate know wasn't, wasn't wasn't Sate part wasn't of that regime of that to part. a certain extent, yeah. and like because of that, really an excellent piece of work is ignored essentially. Yeah, well, maybe maybe interesting in that regard. Uh, the one the one bonus feature talks about uh, like yeah. the opening is talking about Satet. And all of his stories about how the other how much everybody else was a pain in the ass, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. like also not good at their uh, jobs, yeah, right, right. Uh, to the point, there was there was one story. Uh, it wasn't eyes without the face, certainly, which is because uh, I'm pretty sure he was he re, he remained good friends and re, respected Fanju. Well, yeah, no, um, they definitely talk about that in there, where it's like, oh, I mean, he also worked on good things. Or at yeah, least things but, that were, uh, were done by a competent person. One of the films where he was where he was first unit uh or second unit director, first assistant director, um the director got so fed up with him. Right, yeah, no, <laughs> that, I saw that the, the, yeah. that he quit. <laughs> and then which which meant Sate ended up filming the rest of <laughs> the <Yeah>. scenes <laughs> uh to their benefit, to quote right. uh to quote whoever was talking about it. Well, that's a, that's the thing, right? Is that like he's clearly? I mean, I think that's the interesting thing, right? Is that like he's an AD for like forever? It seems like, and, and yeah, all through the fifties, and like yeah, give that gives him a certain sort of clarity on how to make films, right? And and like how to do a good job, and then when you consider the fact that like, I I I I. I have become as we've gone through this somewhat more and more disillusioned with the new wave, just in the sense that like, right. It, it, a lot of these people did, did some amazing work. There's a lot of amazing work. We've talked about some amazing work, but like these, a a whole chunk of them are just like film critics who like decide they can make a movie. They must've been hell on set. Right. (laughs) They must've been (laughs) the worst. Right. Because like, They've never directed. They don't know anything about directing, right? Like, yeah. they think they know what a movie is, and 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 really, what may, sets them apart is the fact that they bring a different perspective to like what should happen in a film, right? Like, and how it should be done. But like, that could have just as easily just gone to hell in a handbasket, and I'm sure for some people it did, right? Like, right. It's I don't know. It's just an interesting thing that like <laughs> how a a friend a new wave director could not have made this. Yeah, because there are too many intensely competent scenes that require severe orchestration. Right, at mm-hmm. least not the early part of the French new wave. Like maybe later on when a lot of them have built up a lot of experience and actually understand what, what even- they're doing. 
when the other new wave directors tried to make a movie like this, they were so beholden to something else. Right. Yeah. They always get locked into the tropes that like, right. Because they yeah. can't get out of their head. You're absolutely right. Yeah, like, we, a lot of those you know, movies. Shoot have the been piano terrible. player was an explicitly American gangster movie, right. as far as Truffaut was concerned, right? Right. And like even the later Melville work, like like Le Samurai, is just something completely different artistically to what's being attempted here. Right. right? Yeah. And I, I, yeah, no, totally. And like we've not liked a lot of them because of <laughs> right. that, because they feel weirdly hyper derivative and kind of boring because it's like it's almost like opening up the tri- the trivia tr- the tv tropes web page and be like <laughs> right, what? right right done 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 yeah. like this is i i really honestly think that if one starts to consider what makes or doesn't make a masterpiece of a certain kind of film something like this which breaks countless rules with regards to the tropes of a film of this genre but then still yeah. also definitely feels like it belongs in that draw that genre is yeah. kind of got to be one of the hallmarks right it's like as this is definitely a gangster movie but it is it doesn't follow a lot of the gangster movie rules at all right it's essentially a a, a story of a dad and his kids right it's just yeah and maybe maybe that's ba- uh, uh, based in it being more or less true to life. Yeah, of at least having some real roots least, in in reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, and then that brings up a whole another thing. Okay, so sorry to just sort of like before we, oh, by all before, means, like then you start getting into what is something like cinema verite? What is that concept? Because yes, you can use non-actors and you can try to show reality but is that more real than a story that was written about someone's real that was written like actually truly like fully scripted out and 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 all planned out and directed in a way where like in a traditional film way but is trying to represent the sort of crux of a person's life yeah and and be true to that story the true true crime Right, you know. it, 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 that's a really interesting thing to think about. Which of these things is more real? Truth, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I, you know, and, that, and they both have a value. I mean, we've watched right, some, right? Like we we, can, we talked about uh, Varda, and like, oh, like, we can go uh, yeah. way down <laughs> a pathway arguing about the nature of truth and different different qualities that make a thing true. Right. Right. And it's just, and, in, yeah. And it's just interesting to think about get, how one can get caught up at some period right. in time with one yeah. concept of truth and sort of start ignoring other versions of truth. Right. 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 Yeah. Where I, where I think this movie really wins is that I really feel like the way it came together with Giovanni and, uh, and Ventura, you know, Ventura reads the book and says, hey, I want to do this. And then I've got a director I think will work, even though he's never made a movie before. And they all just come together in a way where they all have the right vision. Right. And are, are working together for the right vision. Like there was a there was a story um, that Ventura brought the book to him. Um and they had him read it 
and then asked him, what, what's one image you think of for a film version of this? And Sate says, uh, I see a man walking down the street and two kids 10 yards behind him. And that's the image he gets from reading whatever else is in this book and presumably is pretty close to the book plot-wise. Yeah. And and they're like, yeah, that's... <laughs> yep, we got absolute, it. We found our guy. That's, that's it. We got it. <laughs> yeah. that's and, uh, and, you know, they all become friends and they all become collaborators with one another and and it works out. And again, maybe that goes back to <laughs> to the different, the very different life that our writer could have had if he had fallen in with better people right <laughs> before the war right so or had an opportunity to fall in with better people before the war uh but yeah you know this is still a a story about betrayal and revenge killings but it is it is mostly a story about this guy wanting his kids to have a better life than he can provide for them mm. and getting to a point where he can do that right and yeah it's just it's i really loved this movie. no it's it's really very did. very good i like i i am always a little bit like it's we've gotten to the point where i get a little nervous when we get into gangster films yeah because a, a fairly decent swath of them have not been very good there have been some very good ones uh just not all of them um, right, right, and and so I'm always a little bit hesitant. And this one really, it really, it really hits it out of the park. And in we really most regards, it just does. In the podcast, we have a history that has shown up in some uh, some critics of the podcast. We have a history of not liking Frank Schanger and gangster movies. Period. I think deservedly so, and across the decades. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but um, like, I I will say that like, you know. This movie has implanted scenes that will stick in my head, which is always a really valuable. Like, I have essentially the way I now deal with these movies is like certain ones implant a specific image in my head, and that becomes essentially like the kernel. And like, only some of them do it. And this one, like, I will literally probably never forget them throwing that guy off that boat. I don't know why that is burned really so really hard into my is. head, but that is, it's so intense, so quick, and then yeah. it ends so yeah. fast, and they're like, right. then they just toss him a life preserver. It's like, yeah. it goes from from nothing to violence back to nothing right. in f- five seconds? Yeah. yeah. And and then same same with the robbery, and then then that talk with his kids in the, in the church. Right. It's like, those are right. not things I'm going to forget, and that's... I think that's sort of become fundamental to my understanding. Like, ah, I will remember these scenes probably forever. Right. Right. Yeah. It's it worked so well. It really does. So now yeah. people we can we can laugh at the people who've criticized us. We found that we we have another <laughs> French gangster film that we actually there, really, really, really There liked. have been There have been couple. others. There have really been liked. others. There have been others. But yeah. I so maybe we get a bad rap. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Maybe. You just make a good yeah. French gangster film and we'll like it. Yeah. Make one that's unlike any other French gangster <laughs> yeah, movie just do, in a good way. Yeah, do a hard, uh, a really hard thing and we'll like it. And then, right. yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Or just fill well, it full we procedural will... shit. That's all you really need to do to yeah. win me over. Just right, like, right. let that's, me g- watch a guy bad. figure out how to rob a safe for like fucking 20 minutes. I'll yeah. be all over it. We will uh, we will unfortunately never see another movie from 
Satay. Oh. Um, oh well. We have seen other movies he worked on as as right. Yeah. Uh, first well, we, we saw Eyes Without a Face. Yeah, and we will. I think we will see a couple other of those, but we will not see anything else actually directed by him. Uh, next week we have maybe an interesting thing. Uh, our first actual western. Assuming Ooh. you don't call count Walker as a western, um, um, which I, I really don't. But. No, uh, not really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Criterion's list of westerns in the collection counts Walker as a western, and I well, I, I mean, it has people with in that, cowboy hats, I guess. So it does, it, it does, and it it takes place at the time frame that westerns West, west, take sorry. place. I if guess. you put a western <laughs> into a blender, turn it on for a while, yes. and then like <laughs> yes. reconfigure the pieces wherever the fuck you wanted, and then added yeah. helicopters. Helicopters well, you have Walker. Right, while mixing in some 80s cultural references. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, what a, what a yeah. movie, man. <laughs> yeah, Walker was great. Anyway, uh, next week we'll be talking about 1950s The Furies, directed by Anthony Mann, uh, starring Barbara Stanwyck. Uh, and it is it is a legitimate <laughs> legitimate western um, I love me a western. This is going to be set uh, set in the 1870s in New Mexico. I guess uh, there was that uh, that Terrence Malick film uh, about the the Dust Bowl that maybe gets, oh, gets yeah, close to being a western. Sort of, yeah, but that's too late, right? Anyway, like that doesn't, yeah, yeah, right, right. Time period, it's it's different things, you know. It I guess we have <laughs> what we're discovering in the last five minutes of this podcast uh, after watching a, a gangster movie is that we have very, very particular definitions of what we consider Westerns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the uh, the Criterion Collection really does not does not hit you right. with very many. So. Right. Right. This is this is our first one. And it's we're well over. <laughs> we're nearly 450 movies in. Right. This is. Yeah. This is. uh the Furies is spine number uh, four hundred thirty-five, and it's our first our first real western. Oh so, man, I've got uh, it, uh, the plot starts with an elderly, tyrannical, and arrogant cattle baron. <laughs> oh, I'm so in! I can't wait. Excellent, excellent. Look forward to that again from 1950, directed by Anthony Mann. Uh, this week we've been talking about Classe Tu Risque, uh, Claude Saté uh, from 1960. And it's been uh, it's a really great movie. Yeah, and yeah. I really I really love it's it. I really, love the conversation really we've had around it and about it. And thank you so much once again for listening to Watch the Criterion. I am as always the Adam Glass with me as always John Patrick Owatari Dorgan, and we will see you next time. Austin Criterion. I'm your co-host Adam Glass. You can find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My partner is John Patrick Oitari Dorgan, and you can find him at J Patrick Dorgan. Check out more of the show at lostincriterion.com or hey, give us a review on iTunes. It's nice. 
If you really like what you hear, consider supporting us at patreon.com slash lost in criterion. Hey, our theme music is by Jonathan Hape. Check him out at jonathanhape.com. And thanks for listening. We appreciate it.